This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. If you're a guest with us, we're thrilled that you're here. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel, and you're joining us on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, this is a kind of a break Sunday in between a series we just finished last week. Next Sunday, we're going to start our summer uh, walk through the book of 1 John and talk about how John teaches us that life with Christ is a life of no more darkness. Uh, but for this morning, I want to share some ideas with you from Exodus 14. Uh, these are things that the Lord has really been speaking to me over the past couple of months. And as I've shared them with our staff, with my wife, with some of my friends, with our, our deacons, um, it, it seems to be something that resonates with others as well. And so I just want to want to do that. But to properly understand, so Exodus 14 is the story of the Israelites after they've been led out of Egypt and they are on the the banks of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, the Egyptian army, is coming behind them. And so they're kind of, they are literally stuck between uh, kind of a rock and a hard place. That's where we're going to pick up the story. But before we do that, I want to back us up to Exodus chapter 3. Now the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. The Lord speaks to Moses and he says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, so I have come down to rescue them. Now, what I want us to understand, we're going to look at this story this morning. We're going to see some things that, that apply to our lives. But what I, what I want us to understand, first of all, is that when we cry out, God hears us. Right? And, and, and not just hears our cry, but what God tells Moses is, first, I have seen their suffering, and second, I have heard their cry. It's the same thing that Paul will later tell us in Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when we find ourselves in a hard spot in life, when we're suffering, when we're dealing with difficult situations, sometimes we have this idea that God's not going to pay attention until I draw his attention to my need. But the clear teaching of the scriptures is God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, he has a plan for you. And so before the the Israelites cry out in Egypt, God has already seen them. Before they cry, he already knows the situation. Paul tells us the same thing with Jesus. No matter what the results of sin are in your life, no matter how great you're suffering, no matter how tight the bonds of sin have a hold on you, Jesus has already seen it and he has already acted for your deliverance. And so as we read the Exodus story this morning, we read it in light of this reality that when we cry out, God always calls us out. And so the Israelites, they cry out to the Lord and they're saying, save us. He's heard their cry. He sends Moses to them and he leads them out of Egypt. They witness the 10 plagues being poured out on Pharaoh and his people while the Israelites themselves are preserved from them. They see God's hand at work, and they they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God has led them out of slavery, and he is leading them into a new life. This is the same invitation that Jesus extends to you and to me, that when we cry out, he calls us out, and, and his call out is always a call out into new life, into a life of freedom. This is what we remember when we are baptized, right? If, if you've never been baptized, we're going to do that a couple Sundays in June, um, and when we do that, we are going under the water as a reminder that we are dying to our old way of life, our old way of sin, that we have cried out, God has heard our cry, and now he is calling us out of that 
into new life. But when God calls the Israelites out of Egypt, they still participate in the process. They did not initiate the plagues. They didn't do any of that. But their participation is to walk in obedience after Moses and out of Egypt, out into the wilderness in the the pursuit of this new promised land that God has called them to. It's the same thing for you and me. When God calls us out, we face that moment of decision of will we follow him or will we continue to stay here? Now, for the the Israelites, it means they packed up everything. They loaded up their households, their families, and they set off after Moses. For you and I, it, it doesn't necessarily require a physical move a lot of times, but it does require a move of our relationship, a move of our attitudes, a move of the way we think, the way we speak, the way we work, the way we play. We God is calling us out of an old life, and we are walking into this new life of freedom. Now, when you walk into that new life of freedom, it is exhilarating, but it can also be a little bit scary because you're leaving behind everything you've ever known. You are, when, when we are called into new life in Christ, the scriptures tell us that we begin a process of renewing our minds. That literally everything we think about the world, every way that we see the world is being rewired, is being reshaped into the image of Christ. And that process can be a little bit scary at times, especially if we have a a long track record of living how we want, when we want, wherever we want. And and if you've got some relationships that you've had to walk away from as you've walked into new life, maybe you have some old addictions that you've laid down as you've walked into new life, there's going to come a space in your pursuit of this new life where at some point you're going to look back and you're going to long for some of those things. The Israelites faced this when they walked to the Red Sea. They followed Moses for a couple days. They get to the edge of the Red Sea, and they turn around behind them, and they see that Pharaoh has changed his mind, and he is coming with his army. And their response is to be scared. And in their fear, they just want to go back to Egypt and go back to the way things used to be. We can read in Exodus 14, verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. See, when we get scared, our first temptation is always to go back. The chains fall off, and it's liberating, and yet it also creates some uncertainty. And so so you face that temptation of, well, I'm over here in this space, and and suddenly life with Jesus is good, but but there's some difficulty to it. Maybe I experienced some pain, or I experienced some loneliness, and and the temptation is to say, well, I'm just going to go back over here to this old relationship where I found comfort. I'm just going to go back into some of these addictions that have always kind of eased my mind. I'm just going to come back into some of these old patterns of behavior, old ways of working because they always brought a profit, even if maybe they weren't the most honest way to do it. And there's always that temptation of, oh, I'll just go back. When the people cry out, let us go back, Moses speaks to them and he is, he is very, very direct. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Now, when I've read this passage, I mean, forever when I've read this passage, my view of it has always been of Moses as a loving father soothing his fear-stricken children. You know, just, and, and maybe as a parent, you've had that moment where, you, you know, the, the baby is startled, and so you pick him up, and you're just kind of shushing him, and you're rocking them, or the, the toddler gets afraid of something, and you, you pick him up, and you swoop him up, you wrap him in your arms, you're just telling him, hey, it's okay, relax, buddy, it's going to be fine, dad's here, mom's here, you're going to be good. This is, this is how I've always read Exodus 14. Moses turning to this scared people and saying, hey, 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 shh, be still. God will provide for you, and it's a very soothing experience. And over the, the past couple months as I've studied this passage, um, it, it's completely upended my understanding of how this conversation works. Peter Enns is a, an Exodus scholar. He's also a Hebrew scholar, and he writes about this and says, basically, this is not Moses saying, hey, shh, sh- there, 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 you're okay. But, but here's what he says. This is a terse, impatient command on Moses' part. In Hebrew, the last part of this verse is a mere two Hebrew words, which are best translated as, you be quiet, or better, shut up. This is not a word of comfort, but an angry denouncement of Israel's paper-thin faith. So, So my picture was always Moses, the loving father, swaddling the toddler. Enns is telling us the picture is actually Moses on hour six of an eight-hour car ride, right? Turn right. You all better shut up or I will turn this car around. I will, I will not, I'm not above spanking somebody on the shoulder of a highway, right? This, now, you have never done that. I know because you are all fine Christian people. But I've heard there are some dads out there who can lose their minds in a car ride. Right? And, and DVDs, like you, you turn around to your kids, like, you've got a movie theater in a car. You know what I had? I had a book. And I had a mom that told me to look in the book or look out the window. And that was the only two places my eye could go. So shut up about being bored with the movies. Right? And, and this is, I mean, this is Moses. He has, he has lost it. And he said, Really? You want to die in Egypt? Really? You want to go back? Do you realize to go back, you've got to walk through Pharaoh's army? How do you think that's going to go for you? You really want to go back? I think it changes the whole... Now, now I, don't, I don't know what your church background is, and, and so I want to assure you of a couple of things. First of all, this is not normally the church where you come and the pastor yells at you to shut up, but today it is, right? And, and so here's the thing, though. Like, the, the Israelites are just, they're just crying out. But their, their cry, Moses might have responded with that sympathy if the Israelites had no prior track record of God's deliverance. They are days removed from God miraculously, supernaturally acting through the ten plagues to lead them out of Egypt. They are days, they're still carrying the spoils of their victory. As they walk out of Egypt, the Egyptians are coming and they're giving them money and they're giving them gold and they're giving them other things to bless them as they go. And so this is not the cry of a terror-stricken people who are unsure of God's power. But this is a temper tantrum of spoiled children who are mad at God that how dare would you ever lead us into a place where we have to depend on you again? 
And this is why Moses responds with such directness to them. Be still means shut up. Right? And, and there are times in our lives that's the exact message we need to hear. Shut up. Right? Now, now that that... So even already, some of you, and after first service, I heard, we're not allowed to say that in our house. Well, you think you're better than Moses? You know, I mean, he said it, so I feel comfortable saying it. If it makes you more comfortable, maybe you can learn to pronounce it in Hebrew, and then you'll be super Christians uh, yelling at each other to shut up in Hebrew. But I don't think that's going to help either, you know. So, so here's the thing, though. When, when Moses says shut up and when the Spirit says that to us or, or when I say that to you this morning, um, what, what we mean is not ignore your problem. We don't mean that you have to pretend like it's not there, but what it means is is there comes a point in every hardship, there comes a point in every difficulty where you have to stop talking about how bad things are and you have to start talking about how good God is and how powerful he is in the midst of this misery and disappointment. And there are three primary things that we do. When we shut up, it's not that we just kind of sit back and absolve ourselves of all action and responsibility. But when Moses says, be still, shut up, what what he's reminding us of is as you shut your mouth, the Spirit will begin to remind you of who God is and what he has done. That happens in, in a couple ways. First of all, when you shut up, it gives you space to read the Scriptures. And as you read the scriptures, you're going to read stories like Exodus chapter 14, and you're going to start to understand that their story is your story. And God's message to them is God's message to you. And as you read the scriptures, the Spirit is also going to begin to speak to you, confirming that these are not just historical accounts, but that they are are factual descriptions of how God works in the world and how he interacts with his people. And then as you, as you take space to just shut up, you'll start to hear the stories of others, of how God has led them through difficult seasons, how he has helped them to understand that he is with them. See, when, when you get scared, when life gets difficult, one of the, the biggest lies the enemy is going to try to tell you is you're the first one who's ever dealt with this. You're the only one who's ever been here. And and for as long as you go around and you're the primary talker in every conversation, it's going to be pretty easy to believe that. Right? I mean, I've I've had those encounters with people before where they come to me and they're like, you won't believe this. Life is so bad right now. And they're laying out all the miserable things that could happen. And then they've got to run before I even am able to say anything, but I'm sorry. And they leave and and they leave thinking, man, I'm I'm on my own. I've never, no one's ever suffered. And, And I'm thinking, I could, I could connect you with like 10 people right now. Like just in this room, I could look around and see. I could tell you parts of my story. You're not the first one. You're not the only one. But when you're the only one talking, it's easy to think you're the only one who's ever had that experience. Which is why sometimes the most spiritual advice you're ever going to get is shut up. Just be quiet for just a moment. And the Spirit will speak through the Scriptures. And the Spirit will speak through the stories of others. And as he speaks, it's going to bring encouragement. It's going to bring strength to your heart. And you're going to begin to learn that God still has a purpose and God still has a plan. And every every time we walk down this road, as we eventually get to that point of, okay, now I'm just going to shut up. 
God's going to speak, and he's going to reveal what he has next for us. And that's exactly what he does with the Israelites. So Moses turns to the Israelites and said, y'all be quiet. And then God speaks to Moses and says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And so, again, these, these are probably my favorite sermon points ever. Point one, shut up. Point two, stop crying. Right? So just full of grace and sympathy today, aren't we? This is what the Bible says. I'm not, I'm not making that up. You read it for yourself right there. God says to Moses, why are you still crying out to me? Which points us towards this idea that, that God, in his wisdom, is capable of discerning when our cries are legitimate and when our cries are manipulative, when our cries are selfish, when we're crying to absolve ourselves of any responsibility or action. And this is where for us as followers of Jesus, uh, we have to be careful with how we talk about prayer and how we approach prayer because prayer is, is good, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, but there is a temptation to use prayer as an excuse for our inaction. Say, well, well, I can't move forward. I just need to pray about it. I can't take this next step. I need God to confirm it. This is what the Israelites are doing. Let's just sit here and cry out to the Lord and make sure this is his plan. Really? The 10 plagues weren't a sign that this was his plan? You, you really think you need to stop here? And so God's response to Moses is, why are you crying out to me? Just move on. When, uh, when my, one of our kids was probably about two years old, and my mom came over to visit, and the, our, our kid fell down, like, like two-year-olds do all the time, and they weren't hurt, and there was nothing wrong with them, but they wanted a little bit of attention. So they started to cry. Not an I'm hurt cry. Like when you're a parent, you know the difference. You know the I'm hurt cry. You know the uh, I'm manipulative cry. Uh, you know the I just need some attention, I just need a hug kind of cry, and you respond accordingly. Well, I, uh, as a good father, knew that this was not an important cry, and so my two-year-old was there, I was on the couch, my mom was sitting next to me, and I said to my child, you're fine, stop crying, get up. And my mom turned to me with a face full of righteous indignation and said, he is not fine or he would not be crying. And I turned to her and said, this is my house and that's my kid. So you stay out of this. He's fine. We're not raising a crybaby. And, and so we had this little, uh, it went probably about as well as you imagine it went. If you've ever had that talk with your mom, it's always fun. You're never too old for that, apparently. Um, but, um, but for the record, I was right. He was fine. And didn't need anything at all except to be told, you're fine, get up, play again. That's exactly what God is saying to Moses and to the people of Israel. And it's exactly what he says to many of us in our lowest moments. Before you cried out, I already saw the situation you were in. When you cried out, I heard your cry. None of this has caught me off guard. I have a plan for you. Now stop crying and get moving. The problem for many of us is we just want to sit down in that space 
And we want to disguise our complaining as seeking counsel, as interceding, as just seeing if other people have the same problems that I have. And, and all of that is fine to a point. But there comes a point where God simply says, stop crying and move on. You were not meant to fight the same battles over and over and over and over again. The path of following Jesus is one of continual movement where you are experiencing the transforming power of his grace, the victory that only he can bring every day. But that requires that when he says, I have heard you, I see you, and now I'm calling you out, that you obediently follow in that path of freedom. So we, we see this in, in marriages all the time. A husband is disappointed with his wife. A wife is disappointed with her husband. And instead of saying, okay, what is God's plan for marriage? God's plan for marriage is for two people to become one flesh. And so let's, let's say this is obviously not an abusive situation. It's not one of those. It's just kind of normal, uh, some marriage frustrations, some marriage disagreements, some unmet expectations. So what is God's plan in that moment? God's plan is for you to remember, I have a plan. Now start moving after it. Pursue oneness with your spouse. And our response is, okay, but let me sit here and complain about them first. Right? Like, I need to call my other friends and see if their wives are as bad as my wife. I need to call my other friends and see if their husband disappoints them as often as mine disappoints me. I need to spend some time praying and seeking if God was, did I really marry the right person? Are you sure this is the one? Are you sure it's not that old high school flame I see on Facebook? Because he's lost a lot of weight, right? And, and you just kind of settle into this space where you start to think, maybe I can't move forward till I know for sure. And the whole time God's saying, no, 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 you know for sure. The one you're with is the one for you. Now get moving on the path to freedom. Get moving on the path to wholeness. But, I'm, but I've been hurt too much. There's too much disappointment. There's a family history. There's a, and we make all these excuses for why we're just going to stay right here where we are. And God comes to us and says, stop crying and move on. There comes a point, not just in the bad seasons, but sometimes it's in the good seasons too, where you just got to say, okay, he's called, he's delivered, he's, he's showing me, now I just got to take that step of faith. And for, for some of you this morning, God has presented you with new ministry opportunities, with new relationship opportunities. He's presented you with new business opportunities, and you're, you're terrified to take that one more step. And his message is, move on. Stop crying, stop, stop praying, stop analyzing, and just move on. This is what he tells Moses. Move on, I will part the sea. But he doesn't part the sea until Moses gets up, walks over to the banks, extends his hand, and then the waters begin to part. Again, life with Christ is life of continual movement. There are seasons for refreshing. There are seasons where you sit and rest. But on the whole, it's a walk of I'm going to follow his leading every day and I'm going to keep walking. And when an obstacle comes... I'm going to walk right up to it and trust that the Lord is either going to part the sea and I'm going to walk right through the middle. He's going to remove the obstacle or he's going to show me some other path because it's to divert me into his new season. But, but whatever the reason, my job 
is to move on. And not to move on in fear, not to move on tentatively, but to move on in confidence knowing what God has called me to do, he will provide for it. The promises he has laid out in scriptures are his promises for me. When I was uh, 15 years old, I, I lived in Topeka, Kansas, and we were over, uh, over one day at some family friend's house. And the, the husband had recently got a Corvette that was about three years old. I was 15 years old, and I had a learner's permit. And he, uh, he had taken my dad out for a drive. He had given some other people a ride. And then he said, Chris, you want to you go for a ride? Absolutely. So we walk out in the driveway, and I'm walking to the passenger seat, and he tosses me the keys. I thought, really? I think I even said, really? He said, yeah, drive it. Like, there's no point in you riding. You have a learner's permit, right? I'm like, yes, I have a learner's permit. You understand the two things you're putting, like you're pouring gas on a fire right now. You think this is going to end well? And he said, no, 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 hop in. So so we get in, and I have never been more excited and nervous in my life to drive a car. And I, I slowly back out of the driveway, and we start working out the neighborhood, and, and we get out onto some country roads, and the whole time I'm driving 30 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour. And he finally looks over at me and says, are you going to drive this car or what? What do you mean? He says, this is a Corvette, man. You've got to gun it. And so I, I went to like 38 miles an hour. <laughs> Like that? He's like, no, 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 let off. So I let off all the way. He said, now both hands grip it. There's nobody out where he says, kind of slide over to the middle of the road. I mean, he's being somewhat cautious. He says, now what I want you to do is I want you to slam your foot all the way to the floor and just hold on. Really? Might I remind you that I am 15 with a learner's permit and I saw the way my dad looked at me when I left your house. It was a look that said, don't wreck that car. It's worth more than our house. He said, no, 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 do it. There's no point in having a fast car if you don't drive it fast. And I thought, all right, you've told me like five times already. So now I would be disrespecting my elders to not do what you say. And so, man, I gripped that and I stomped on that gas and my heart came as alive as it had ever come at any moment in life. Right? But his point was, look, this, this car was made to be driven. Right? It's, it's made to go. And if you don't make it go, you might, not, might as well not even be in it. This is God's message to the Israelites. This is God's message to us. Life with Christ is one of movement. It's one of power. It's one of grace. And every time an, an obstacle comes your way, it's not a sign of, okay, well, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to go back to the way things used to be. But it's a sign of, well, I, I guess God has a plan for this. I guess he's going to lead us through. We sing that song all the time. You split the seas. So I could walk right through it. Not you split the seas so I could stand on the banks and think, man, God really is powerful. But so I could walk through it. And guess what? The Israelites, they walk through the Red Sea. And then on their journey into the promised land, there are other obstacles that they encounter. And what happens? God provides. He provides, and this is our trust, this is our hope, that as he leads us, as he calls us, no matter what we encounter, as we take and create space to just shut up and be still, to be reminded of who he is, what he's done, and what he has promised, then he will make a way for us, just like he's made a way for so many others. 
Ready? If he's put that dream in your heart, let him make it happen. If he's called you to that spouse, then go all in. He's entrusted you with those kids. So keep trusting him with them. In every season, he has a plan and he can lead you through. That that season of grief you're in right now is not where he wants you to stay. It's not where you will always be. That illness, that sickness you're dealing with, you might feel it, and yet that will not be the full story of your life. No matter how deep our pain, no matter how big the obstacle, God is under it, God is over it, and he'll lead a way through it. Our job is to move on, to follow him. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray with you. God, you see each person here this morning, you see the the needs that we have, the challenges that we're facing. And God, I ask this morning that you would help us to receive your words to Moses and the Israelites as your words to us. To just be still. To just shut up and listen to the statements of the scriptures of who you are and what you've done. To hear the voice of your spirit confirming that you have not brought us this far to leave us on our own. To hear from the stories of others that you are good, you are gracious, and you are strong. So Lord, I pray for those today who are stuck between a rock and a hard place. May they hear your voice saying, be still. Your deliverance is coming. Walk in faith and I'll part the seas for you. Lord, I pray that you would lead husbands and wives to make that commitment to you and to one another. Lord, I pray for those suffering from grief or depression that they would even this morning, begin to see the seas parting in their heart. Pray for those who long for reconciliation with their parents or their children. Lord, may you split the sea so they can walk towards you and towards one another. Lord, I pray for those that you have given big dreams and visions for the future, ways to be part of your impact in our world and in their communities. This morning, may you give them faith to just keep moving forward. That when they get to the end of their rope, you will be there to lead them the rest of the way home in the fulfillment of every promise. Lord, we surrender to you and to the power of your spirit. We see our tendency to shy away from your power, to be poor stewards of your gifts, to spiritualize our inaction. Today we ask that you would not only forgive us, but fill us with your spirit to take steps of faith, believing that what you have promised, you will do. That the stories of old are the stories of today. That your power at work in us will achieve every purpose that you have declared for us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us? The band's gonna lead us in a final song. As they do, if you'd like someone to join you in specific prayers, uh, maybe about these ideas in your life or, or other things as well. If you'll head out the back doors and to your left, some of our volunteers will be ready to pray with you. The rest of us, we're gonna sing this last song as a declaration that when God splits the sea, it's so that we can move on in his grace and his mercy. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.